Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Chopsticks Restaurant in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Oil is still big business in Acadiana, even if it's not quite as big as it used to be. The ups and downs of the petroleum industry are not new, and neither are the secrets to success. These days, it's not just the price per barrel that has an impact on the industry. Technology, culture, and consumer attitudes are constantly in flux. And that means the companies that thrive are the nimble ones that can adapt. My guests today both run successful operations that have business portfolios in and out of the oil and gas industry. They've both managed to succeed and even grow in tough times by diversifying what they do and staying inventive. Reagan Burrell runs her family business, an international oil services company, MAP Oil Tools. Her father founded MAP in Texas, but moved it to New Iberia. On her way to the top job, Reagan dropped out of college and hopped on at the warehouse and worked her way up to CEO. Today, MAP is a small company with an international footprint with operations in the U.S., China, and Dubai. Reagan, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Like Steve Jobs and Apple, my next guest, Ben Johnson, launched his company Techno in a garage. Technux. <laughs> Ten years ago, he had one client and one coworker, his dad. Since then, Techno has added new divisions and dozens of employees with operations in Denver and Houston. In 2019, Techno was named one of the state's top growth companies. It supplies IT and data services for big industry on an innovative business model. Ben, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Christian, for having me. I need to get you to write something on our website about me. That was a great introduction. It's $45 a word. <laughs> All right. Got it. Well, Ben, I want to start with your business model um, because... Uh, it is a little unusual, at least as I understand it. Um, I've heard it described as distributed capitalism was a term that I've seen. Uh, what exactly does that mean and what does it look like? Yeah, so um, it is kind of a, a, a weird wording to use, but um, one of the things that we found the techno on um, led was, was based off of some of the frustrations that we had in, in prior companies, me and my dad. Um, you know, we, you make commitments to the people, especially in the service industry, you make commitments to your people and you make commitments to your customers. And uh, what in, um, inevitably ends up happening, if you're successful, you end up moving yourself away from those people and those customers. And, and that's a bad thing to me. Um, you know, you made those commitments, you want them to be successful, and now all of a sudden you're messing with more spreadsheets or banks or lawyers or these guys as you become a successful business. Um, and also, your people um, that you've hired on and brought in to do good things, um, if you hired some good ones, they, they can be just as good as you, right, as a business owner. And um, in other places we worked at, those people have to leave. They don't have the opportunities um, within that corporation or, you know, the ladder, you have to wait for someone to fall off the corporate ladder and to, to be able to take their place. Uh, so anyway, one, one of the, the, the points of um, Techno was to give people an opportunity to actually own their own company within a business. So Techno is sort of an umbrella company you can think of. Um, and as people show that um, they can run their own business, um, that they can handle customers, that they can mentor people, uh, we give them a means to kind of own that business. So, for instance, um, one of my guys in Lafayette, really good, um, wanted to go start 
a thing in Denver. And so we just gave him customers. We gave him people and said, hey, go start your business. Do that. Why? I don't need to be the one making all the money as the founder, CEO, um, and even Michael is the other founder. We don't make all the revenue from techno. We have business units underneath techno that we don't gain any money from. It's We let them have that money. That's where the distributed capitalism piece comes in, um, in that we want people to understand the effects of profit and loss capitalism, right? Not just um, building off of someone else's risk that they've taken, but now they have a chance to actually grow their own business um, underneath techno. And, I, and I'm going to babble, so if I babble too much, please tell me to stop. <laughs> no, I, I don't um, think you babbled. I think I sent you down like a total rabbit it's, hole there. It's a huge concept for it's, us, it's, but it's a way we want people to, to truly own their own business within techno. And I should, you know, you shouldn't have one overlord that's the CEO making all this money off of that. You should distribute the, the profit across to the people that actually do the work, have the relationships, do the mentoring. Yeah, yeah so, so, so the people I that said, produce. I said earlier that, you know, in my introduction that, you know, you are, that, that Techno primarily operates as sort of IT and data services. Mm -hmm. right? Is that about an accurate description of what y'all do? Yeah, uh, we're, we're a technology company. Um, really, we, we, we want to help our customers. They, they lean on us as the experts from small to medium to large sized businesses. They come to us and they kind of say, hey, I bought this latest software package that's so awesome. And I got I, a guy brought me to lunch and sold me that this was the best thing ever. And now it's at my company and we, don't, we can't make it work. You know, and it's like, oh, well, you bought the cool things. You bought the Steve Jobs thing that was sold to you as this amazing product. Um, but then they're gone and, and, and you, it's not working for you. So they call us and we say, okay, let's make this thing work. Let's see if it's actually what you needed. If you do, let's, let's, let's configure it and get it integrated into your company. If not, let's trash it and find you the thing that does work. So technology in any space um, is really where we play. We're nerds for that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, Reagan, I mean, MAP has been around for a while. Right, and so 30 years. 30 years. Um, oh, so, awesome. um, obviously, you know, the, this most recent downturn wasn't your first. I mean, how has MAP stayed successful? How has it thrived? What's been the secret to your success? Uh, well, I think the fact that we are uh, we have a diversified market base. So, uh, we've been a global company for 25 of those 30 years. Uh, so, it gives us some insulation to the volatility of the U.S. market um, by having... Um, tendered opportunities that uh, span over several years uh, versus sort of the commodity day-to-day -day needs of the U.S. Uh, oil and gas market. Um, uh, we also have a variety of product lines that kind of help us span these downturns. Uh, so we have product lines that are used for plugging and abandonment. Uh, when the price is down and they are plugging oil wells, uh, either permanently or temporarily, they, they, we have product lines for that. Um, and then whenever the price spikes and people are fracking or producing or um, uh, uh, repairing wells, uh, we have product lines for that as well. So. so your model actually kind of is able to ride the wave. I mean, that you're able to supply in either condition is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, how did you guys get to be, a, you said, out of 30 years, right, 25 of those, you've been a global company. I mean, how did, how did, how did that happen? Uh, well, we started with a joint venture manufacturing agreement with the Chinese government in 1992. And uh, so we were able to essentially uh, export uh, quality manufacturing uh, to China. 
and build a supply chain there uh, that lasted for uh, 20 years. Uh, we now actually wholly own our manufacturing facilities over there. Um, but that uh, dipping a toe in that international um, integration of supply and sales uh, early on in the company helped us to expand to Southeast Asia. Um, we also made specialized tools for South America um, and uh, of course you know, once you start expanding internationally, opportunities tend to open up in other regions. The oil and gas uh, industry is very small. So uh, once you get to know a few people that are operating in other regions, uh, it's, it's, it becomes a lot easier to open doors uh, in uh, geo markets around the world. I mean, I, so you start with a contract in China. I mean, it's still kind of beyond me, like, to be who do you call? Like, how do you make that happen? You know, I mean, it just seems like in 1992, it's not something, you know, I mean, it would have been tough for you to even just like find a website, right? To go and just like, where contact us, we're the government of China. Yes. How, how did y'all make that contact? So uh, the founders of MAP uh, were aware of certain opportunities that the Chinese government was opening up uh, to cooperation with US companies and uh, they took advantage, but it wasn't easily had. Uh, it was something that required personnel to live in China for long periods of time, uh, you know, uh, repeat visits, staying over there to uh, train engineers, to train machinists, uh, to develop uh, quality management systems, and uh, make sure that the personnel there understood what that meant and how to use those tools, um, quality management system tools, to their benefit. Um, it, uh, it wasn't easily had, but it's been a very successful endeavor. Wow. Yeah, Ben, you guys have offices around the country, too. I mean, and you started again from your garage, and then now you've got, what, folks in Denver and Texas? Denver, right? Dallas, Houston, and Lafayette. Yeah. So, so how, did, how, how did that happen? I mean, you know, how do you just sort of build out of this market into other, you know, major markets in the U.S. like that? Yeah, um, our, our, the success of the, of the geographical diversification has come from our people. Uh, we just hired really good people that <clears throat> aspire um, to want more. And um, I'd love to say we had some great plan that said, hey, we're going to diversify and go to these other markets. And um, we really didn't. Lafayette is not a hub <laughs> um, for oil and gas producers anymore, right? Um, the reason we were here was for um, we really wanted to bring more of a technology focus into the area. We really should have started the company in Houston. We had talks about that if we should have... Um, Relocated there since there was much more customer-facing opportunities there, but um, we really wanted to stay in Lafayette, it's the Louisiana we love, and um, so anyway, um, being here, we knew that there were other opportunities geographically. When our guys started to say, "Hey, I really want to own my own company. I want to. I want to see this thing through. I want to become part of the the techno." culture and they had already been ingrained here in Lafayette it was easy to say hey we got customers up in Denver we have customers in Houston you know and you can have you can add much more value to the company by being there being in front of them and we have guys that just jump on that stuff that say hey yeah no I get techno now I'm going to go create another techno over there and so without much really planning it was kind of an organic um, thing that happened so I mean you know um, it strikes me that you know, when you hear about tech companies, right, a lot of people think of these, you know, the major tech companies internationally, Amazon, Google, Apple, mm -hmm. right? I mean, how is it, 
how is it you compete in a space with such big players like that? Especially when you kind of you're talking about how difficult it can be to sort of do this from a market the size of Lafayette. Maybe, maybe it would have been easier in Houston. How do you Bruh, do that? You, I mean, you mentioned Google's, and we, it's not even that. I mean, look at what we've done here locally. What what gets touted in the area? CGI waiter. Either of those companies from here? <laughs> no. Right. You know, but, oh, they get shown off, and, oh, there's all kinds of money coming in, and they're doing these great things. Well, they kind of came in to take advantage of the tax breaks, but, eh, you know, we'll, we'll, leaving that aside, they did a lot of great things for the city. They they continue to do a lot of great things for Lafayette and the region. And, and so um, from a competition standpoint, um, we, yeah, we're competing <laughs> – across the board it's not just for the big guys um so again a lot of what's based with us is our people it's our culture it, we have to differentiate ourselves uh not just from the technology but uh, as a services company um it's about building loyalty and trust with our people we talk about honesty and integrity you know a lot um as our core values um but I think it shows when we go to the university or we are just people talk about the company um, in general and we're having conversations. Um, I think it comes through to them that, hey, this, this is a local company that really cares about us. Um, I see all the cool stuff that they're doing. It's the same technology as a CGI or a waiter or an Apple or a Google. Um, why not do it here with someone that I think truly cares about me and my success? So, Reagan, you just returned from Dubai, right? I did. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, it seems like you've got to have a pretty uh, wide vantage on what's happening in the oil, the oil industry internationally. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, you know, where you see it? You know, we hear about it, obviously, a lot locally here, but I don't know that, you know, folks necessarily have a good sort of global view on what's happening. Sure. Let me just get out my crystal ball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have one, too? Uh, yeah, of course. Doesn't everyone? Um, no, uh, you know, it's... Uh, there are huge differences in the oil and gas industry depending on where you're at. Uh, so in the U.S. market, you get um, uh, there's a, a lack of uh, cooperation uh, between operators. So uh, that's where you get this uh, volatility in the market. Um, you know, uh, production goes up and nobody really manages that production. Uh, the price of oil goes up and nobody really manages their production. They're just trying to service their debt and get what they can yeah. <laughs> while they can. Uh, whereas uh, operators in the Middle East tend to take a very long-term look at, uh, at, at production. So you get a lot, a lot more stability over there. Um, governments, uh, you know, the national, the national oil companies over there, they plan their operations years in advance. They take a year, a year and a half, just to establish who the suppliers are going to be for certain scopes of work. So you have this, uh, the, the amount of planning that they put into it and the type of production that they want to see over the long term, uh, you know, that, that benefits manufacturers in a lot of ways. Um, and we are um, primarily a manufacturer, so it makes sense for us to focus, uh, to, for us to focus on that region. Do you see, do you see sorry. No, no, please. Do you, do you see the same, um, I've noticed like with the E&P companies, like exactly what you're talking about, shooting at the hips, like they can't get out of their own way when oil is $100 a barrel. I mean, some of the worst run companies I've seen are some major oil and gas companies. They're just printing money so they can 
can be so inefficient and effective. But I found that the pipeline space isn't like that. I don't know if y'all deal in the pipeline world at all. No, we don't. Okay. All right. uh, yeah, we're. Uh, I find they're much more stable. Yes. Like what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, uh, all of our all of our equipment is used downhole. Uh, mm. So. Uh, you know, we don't have. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not going to be yeah, on the pipeline midstream of, or downstream. So you're fully upstream. Yes. Yeah. So when you're talking about this sort of like the planning difference, the stability differences, is that mostly a function of, um, you know, the, the, those cultures themselves? I mean, like, is it something that's sort of like written in the DNA of the people, or is it because these are they tend to be nationalized? companies yes. right that are like this is saudi arabia's oil company and it's sort of part of the you know it's literally owned by the state right i mean exactly it, so is, is that is it sort of a difference between you know um i guess capitalism and like you know nationalized oil companies yes that's the difference really um you know these are nationally owned resources uh that are that are uh, capitalized by national oil companies and so you know that's exactly where the difference comes in and so you mentioned that a lot of this, you know, you guys are manufacturers. I mean, I, I'd be remiss not to ask. I mean, what exactly are you guys building? Uh, we build completion equipment. Uh, so uh, essentially those are tools that are used to uh, either provide opportunities for repair of oil and gas wells, uh, uh, for workover operations, for uh, plugging and abandonment, servicing, acidizing, fracturing, uh, multi-zone stimulation. Uh, we have uh, suites of tools that cover the life of a well, essentially. Wow. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Ben Johnson of Techno and Reagan Burrell of Map Oil Tools. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Reagan Borrell, CEO of Map Oil Tools, and Ben Johnson, founder of Techno, an IT and big data firm based in Scott. Ben, Reagan, this is the part of the show we call the interview. Okay? You're both CEOs, both had to hire people. There's been a trend lately in the interview process where you deviate a little bit from the typical job related questions to probe a little bit deeper into what makes a candidate tick. So I have here a list of 16 questions. Um, that we're not going to do all. I didn't sign up for this, right? I'm going to let you handle this. By we're not doing all the Thanks. questions. Don't worry about it. Um, that go a little off the beaten path. I will warn you there. You'll pick a number between one and 16, and tell me how you'd answer that question. Pick a number between one and 16. Um, I'll go with 13. 13. Okay, number 13. If you were on an island and could only bring three things, mm-hmm. what would you bring? Hmm. So, off the top of my head, uh, hopefully a, a video gaming console with solar panels and batteries. Do those count as three things, or is that one packaged thing? Well, then I need so, internet so access. <laughs> Most of the stuff I play is online. I'd need a tower, probably. Yeah. I think that could be three things. I mean, if somebody <laughs> okay. seems like the goal of your three things is to have. Uh, obviously, I mean, besides sure. the things like my wife, who I love, <laughs> would really want her on the island with me. Yeah. Well, you didn't pick her because she's not a thing. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Man, you're good at this. Yeah, I'm also married. Um, so, okay. So then I got to ask. I mean, what you said, most of the games you play. I'm like, what games do you play? What's a game that you play? Um, so um, we do a, a ton of board games at work. Um, but for my online gaming, it's... Um, I do a lot of Dota 2, um, and then I recently started cracking out on The Witcher 3, 
So, so board games at work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that does feel very Silicon Valley company thing. What kind of board games? Is this sort of like, I'm picturing people hanging in nests and then <laughs> playing Clue. I mean, what do you have? Well, sometimes it's, yeah, it's, uh, we do our, so people have lunch breaks, right? So we'll get in conference rooms together and we'll do things like Avalon Resistance, uh, Carscarone, I can never get the name right, some European board games. Okay. We've got some really nerdy people. Um, Actually, Game of Thrones, but that, that board game takes like four hours. Um, was Risk it, just not on the table? I mean, no, Risk is just not not. Uh, we like like the spy games where you have to try to lie and fake people out and figure out. Uh, there's a game called Secret Hitler that we play quite a bit. <laughs> um, you have you have the fascists versus the liberals, and like there's you have secret roles that are going on, and then you have to find who is see, Hitler I'm a board before game he gets players, so I'm take, I'll take are notes. You? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Good. And then we do have a, a huge video game um, um, console set up with an emulator that has about 30,000 games on it. Yeah. Well, let's give you a break. Reagan, not off the hook. You pick a number between 1 and 16. Mm, number 3. Number 3. Okay. Um, if you had a machine that produced $100 a day for life, what would you be willing to pay for it today? You know, you have to think about uh, how much longer the U.S. currency is going to be the... <laughs> It's you must be hearing a lot more on your travels abroad <laughs> about like, the future state of the American economy than the rest of us are. You know. Uh, okay, well, let me ask you this. So depending on how somebody would answer that question, what would that, what would that tell you about them? So, you know, we have some folks at our company that are very mathematically inclined, and uh, I think that they could probably come up with a calculation. You, you've got a tight-knit company. I mean... You know, it seems like that's a big piece of what y'all do. I mean, you, right? I mean, well, yes, our team, I mean, we have a very small team that does very big things. Uh, so we have 15 here in the U.S. Uh, we have six in Dubai and 18 in China. Okay. So China actually has your largest, from a people standpoint, is your largest footprint. Yes, well, it's our manufacturing base. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, our, our U.S. team is uh, focused on supply chain management, sales, and engineering. What is it that you look for in building it? I mean, it seems like if you've got such a small group of people, right, and you've just such a big footprint, I mean, you've really got to have a good sense of the kind of people that you hire to do your work, right? Yes, they need to be hungry. <laughs> so, number one. Uh, no, we, uh, you know, we are currently still in expansion mode. We have been uh, for the past 12 months. We've restructured the organization uh, to be focused more on application-specific solutions and uh, high-end solutions for customers that have needs that aren't met by uh, commodities or standard service products. Uh, so we've really been focusing on finding people who are uh, young and energized, who have uh, some uh, a diversified experience in uh, whether it's uh, management, uh, knowledge of uh, applications, um, or, or other technical knowledge uh, regarding manufacturing or supply chain management. But, uh, you know, we're not looking for a lot of experience. We're looking for a little experience and a lot of hunger for growth. Um, and we've had a lot of success recruiting people that, uh, that fit that, that mold very well. Uh, so it's why we are able to do sort of this massive expansion that we have uh, without having a massive increase in our operating cost. So I'm, I'm really excited about some of the team members that we've added recently that they're, um, they're shifting the focus from things that we've always done a certain way 
and they're starting to question, well, mm -hmm. what, why do we do it that way, and how can we do it differently? Such a great and question. Here are some, <laughs> yes, here are some ideas that I have, mm -hmm. and that's what I like to hear most about our people is, uh, you know, uh, I, I have some ideas about how we could do something differently, and I, and I always encourage people to uh, explore and try different options. Uh, if they fail, that's okay, and if they it. don't, then, uh, then you know, we get to do things differently and in a better way. Here in Lafayette, the LED does the CEO roundtable. Have you ever no. looked at participating in that? Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. You get with like 18 of your peers, it's other CEOs. They try not to do the same from the same markets or mm -hmm. verticals. Yes. But, um, yes. Anyway, they ended up coming to Techno to see things because we have the same, um, I guess, hiring practices. I, we can't. I can't go out into the marketplace and find kind of the hunger and the passion that I want. And it's pretty niche what we do in some instances. So we hire very young right out of college. You know, we teach them about the culture so they don't have any kind of preconceived notions of what a business is supposed to be. Anyway, they're like, well, how do you handle these millennials? I can't get them to work. They're so lazy and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, what, what we found is it has nothing to do with that. Really, I think the younger generation is much more... Um, uh, stable than than mine was in a, in the fact that they they understand a work life balance. They understand that everything is not about work, you know. And they go out, and, but they're passionate and they will try hard. But it's really you want to get that energy within the forty hour weeks because they have things that they want to do that they know are fulfilling and important to them in their life. And if you take that away from them by making them work insane hours and stuff like that, they get upset. And also, you have to help them understand that what they're doing is making some kind of difference. You know, even if it's it's not a world changing, we're solving hunger or right. getting rid they of malaria. They want to be able to difference. make a positive impact on the world. <laughs> And yeah. yes, they want to be able to work and also enjoy their lives. Which I think it's awesome. Like, I think so why, too. Why were we taught that we had to work 60-hour weeks to be <laughs> successful? We don't. I know, I know. If you want to stay relevant in a turbulent industry, you've got to keep your head on a swivel. Adaptation is the name of the game, but the blocking and tackling of good business is taking care of your people. And that's how you build a company that doesn't just survive, it thrives. Both Map Oil Tools and Techno are living proof. Ben and Reagan, it's been great chatting with you both. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Oh, thank you for having me. It's yeah. been great to be here. Good stuff. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Reagan Borrell, CEO of Map Oil Tools in New Iberia, and Ben Johnson, founder of industrial IT firm Techno. You can learn more about Ben and Reagan by following the links at our website, itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our researcher is Ann Christian. And today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinet. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch Acadiana wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. And you can find all of our podcasts at itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com, on our It's Acadiana Facebook page, and on Instagram at Out to Lunch Acadiana. These photos were taken by Lucius Fotno, and you can find more of his photos at laughphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's community-owned nonprofit newsroom. Thanks for joining me. And for more great stories and conversation, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'll see you here again next week around the lunch table for more business, Acadiana style, on Out to Lunch. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch is recorded live at Chopsticks Restaurant in Lafayette, 
where East meets Southwest. Authentic Chinese cuisine prepared with fresh local ingredients. The Atalanta Cadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur, Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. 